right, podcast number 10. I'm Larry Casilla from AmmoNYC.com. Thanks so much for listening. We have so much to talk about, I don't even know where to begin. But um, in the next probably eight or nine days, I am going to SEMA uh, out in Las Vegas, which is going to be really exciting. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's get into uh, what the topic is, and then I'll go on my rant and raves as I normally uh, do in the beginning of the podcast. So today's topic is going to be about the detailing steps. Now, most of you are saying, you know, detailing steps, uh, what, do you, what does that mean? Uh, we know how to do that or that, that sort of thing. But I've gotten a few questions um, specific to business owners. What steps do I take? And we're going to look at it from a high level, meaning um, not the nitty gritty uh, down more, not micro, but more of a macro view of the steps that you need to take when you're detailing a car. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to give you a different perspective and it's all based on uh, the customer and what the car actually needs. And there's sort of a, a different school of thought, um, uh, different schools of thought that, that that dictate whether you go one direction or another. So we're going to talk about that. It's kind of interesting. And then my, uh, my guest today is a, a friend named Robert from Ireland, and you'll be able to hear him um, right off the bat because he's got a killer accent. And he's going to talk about a few different things, um, which is pretty cool. Um, the difference between you know UK cars and um, you know United States cars, and and the thought process, and it's pretty neat because we clearly think of things differently just based on the limitations or the restrictions, I should say, of each respective country. So it's kind of neat. Um, and then I asked him, of course, I'm just curious as to the Festival of Speed, is I've always wanted to go that go there, and you know the difference between Pebble Beach because he hadn't actually gone there, so. We talk about a few things, and he's, uh, he's a really smart guy, so it's going to be fun. So let me get into my rant and raves. And right off the bat, I uh, posted a few different videos. One was on the 964, meaning mine, uh, the door fix, and that was uh, lots of fun because it was very frustrating to not have a window work. But even worse than that, the window kept rolling down. So uh, I shot a different video just to kind of get out of my detailing mode for a minute and do more hands-on uh, open up the door. I'm more curious. And then, then, of course, I did some detailing. I vacuumed inside the door. So if you haven't seen it, go check that out. And then last week, we did a video on uh, calcium or lime deposit um, from a New York City parking garage on a Audi Q7, which was pretty cool. And I, I, I wanted to just kind of open the eyes of a lot of people who haven't been in that situation because a lot of times it's kind of a different one as opposed to, let's say, bird poo or something where there's birds everywhere and they poo all the time. It's not very common to get lime deposits uh, or calcium or things of that nature. And one of the ways or one of the things that I wanted to talk about in that video was the difference between organic and inorganic stains and how you approach them. And and having that knowledge or those tools can actually uh, make a job quicker, easier, aka more profitable. And at the end of the day, uh, being profitable is not a bad thing. You need to be profitable so that you can survive and feed your family and then exist the other day, and I said this a few other times uh, in uh, you know some seminars and things of that nature, that I love Apple products. I just I think they're cool. I don't know. And I want them to be successful, and I want them to be profitable so they can keep coming out with cool things so they can still exist. So um, you know, sometimes I run into people where it's like, I love these cars. I'm like, yes, so do I. But it doesn't mean you don't have to be profitable. And one of the other things I'm going to jump into is in January uh, 7th, 8th, 7th, 8th, and 9th, um, we can look it up, mobiletechexpo.com. Uh, take a look at it. It's uh, in January going to be in Florida, Orlando, uh, and I'm going to be giving a seminar or talk or speech or whatever you want to call it. And the seminar title is called Upscale Your Client Portfolio 
to increase profits. Upscale your client portfolio to increase profits. And what do I mean by that? And, uh, you know, they make me give a, a, a brief description. So I'll read my brief description. 20th century thinking dictates more customers equals more revenue. Our goal as 21st century business owners, however, is to increase profit, not revenue, by providing the best service, product, or training. In this session, we'll discuss how to increase profit by concentrating your energy and identifying the few best clients while eliminating time-consuming activities. So that's kind of the uh, thing that we're going to be talking about, and I have 45 minutes to ramble on, and you guys certainly know that I can do that. Um, but more importantly, it's just from my years of experience of how to uh, how to be discerning when choosing to take a job. Now, uh, that, that is a very tricky subject. We're going we're gonna to brush on that today when we get into the main meat and potatoes, but it's something I want you to think about that it's not necessarily take every single job. I want more customers. That's not how you become uh, necessarily profitable. Now, there's different businesses, of course, where you have to do you know $6 car washes and automatic car washes. Well, that doesn't really apply because the machines are doing it, and it's a, it's a different, it's not good or bad. It's just a different business. I'm speaking specifically about um, probably 90% of you who are listening, listening who do hands-on detailing or have a couple of guys at a shop like Scotty Shine Shop and things of that nature. He's not doing $6 car washes. I can guarantee you that. And he's very, very, and he's been around forever. He's very discerning as to what he picks. It's just not open season and whatever. It has to kind of fit or funnel in to something that works with his business model. Now, I'm not saying I'm right or he's right or he's wrong or I'm wrong. It It's just different for every model. So I'm speaking specifically about those guys who have the hands-on shop and not necessarily the tunnel wash where you have to plow them through, and that's okay too. So just think about that cerebrally, you know, just in your mind. Just let it let it expand a little bit and, 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 and think about that. So um, let me hop on to another subject where I want to kind of freak out a little bit. I was driving around the other day in the 964, and I heard this boom, da-da-da-da-da-da. Boom, da-da-da-da-da. Every time I went over a bump in my right and my passenger side rear um, uh, you know, uh, back tire there. And I'm saying to myself, man, it sounds like I feel like the tire is going to come off. So I got off, yeah, I got off, uh, you know, the highway there and I checked it out and I couldn't really see anything. So I limped my way home and sure enough, I took it into Renwick Porsche, um, which is where we did the, uh, the PPI inspection where I did the clay episode and I did the first episode ever, which was the, uh, Audi R8 Blackbird. So I love those guys. They're great. Put it up on a lift. Sure enough, we saw, um, within the, uh, shock itself, something came off the top of it uh, and slid down where the uh, the coilover was, and and there was a piece of metal stuck in between the coilover and the and the gas shock, which was like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And sure enough, the top, the bolt had come loose or broken loose and fallen down, and basically my shock was attached to the tire but banging against the inside of the frame because it wasn't connected to the frame. So that was kind of irritating. We fixed that, or I say we. They fixed that in all of 35 minutes. Um, I had to fabricate a little thing because we didn't have one, uh, which was cool. Um, made it work, and it was great. I'm happy. I'm grinning ear to ear. The car was running like a beast. It was nice and cold outside. The motor's really strong. I had to run to the city um, to go do a few things at, at the office, and there's a parking garage, and when I say garage, it's basically a flat piece of pavement, and I can see it from the office. You could not; it's like a dream come true when you have to work in a city. So I zip into the city, I park there, I know the guys, I take care of them, et cetera, et cetera, and I just love. I don't like being prevented from driving the Porsche anywhere. 
Um, I'd much rather have a chance of getting a door ding than not driving it at all. I know that sounds crazy. I can fix the door ding, but I want to enjoy my car. And that's kind of my thing. So sure enough, I park in the city. I don't get a door ding. I don't get scratches. I don't get bird poo. I don't get anything. I'm like, hmm, awesome. I come out, I pull my car down, um, and I notice that it happens to be on a lift, but the lift isn't up. And now this lift is an old school lift, meaning it has a little bit of a raised middle section. Why? I don't know, but it's, I, I couldn't tell you why. So I see it on the lift, and the parking lot is wide open because I left work at you know, 9, 10 o'clock at night or whatever it was because I was working late. And so everybody who in the city had left. Uh, my car is the only one there in a football field-sized parking lot, and it happens to be on one of three uh, lifts, and, but the lift is down. So I get in there, and I try to pull it off, and the car is not – it's not – going it's i'm sitting there i'm wiggling i'm like what the heck is going on here so i stick it in first gear i give it a little bit more gas and i can hear i'm going dude this is not cool at all and of course the parking guy is standing right next to me and i have to kind of just lightly i like you know kind of get out of the car to take my weight off of it and it comes off the lift and of course i stop and i'm like what the heck is going on here i'm gonna have to you know strangle someone and my shifter is now stiff and i I don't know how to explain it the right way. You guys are, I'm venting to you guys. The, the, the only thing that, you know, anybody would understand is the, is you, you guys listening that it's kind of like an old pair of jeans, you know, the way it feels and the way you get in it and the way it's the car wraps around you and anything that happens to it mechanically or otherwise, you know, instantly, that's when you know your car. So I got in, I grabbed the shifter and I said, eh, something is not right. And it's, uh, I'm so frustrated. I, I think, uh, the weight of uh, the car on this wacko lift that pushed it up. And of course you guys know my car's lowered. I think it pushed something in the tranny. I don't think the tranny is messed up. I think the linkage for the, for the shifter has been thrown off kilter. And I said to the parking guy who the manager is or whatever, who's obviously refusing to pay shock um, that uh, it's kind of like, he's like, well, how could you possibly drive away? And I said, well, the tranny isn't broken. It's kind of like having a, a back spasm, like your back hurts. You can still walk. But it kind of hurts. It's like having a little tweak. So I need to go to a chiropractor, wink, wink, uh, you know, mechanic, and just kind of untweak it so that I can have my freaking shifter back. So it's not – so right now it's just really shift uh, – really shift. Really uh, – like it, it's kind of like in cement, if that makes sense. So if I push the shifter all the way to the left, not in gear, you know, when you wiggle your shifter when you're, uh, you know, sitting at a light or whatever. It's just kind of like a – I don't know what it's called, but crazy person, I guess. And so you, sh- you put it all the way to the left and not in gear, and you let go of it. What, what's it going to do? It's going to come back to the middle, like, you know, boiling, come back. You do the same thing to the right, it's going to come right back to the middle. Now I push it over to the right, it stays to the right. So I have steam coming out of my ears. I call the police. I file a police report, bah, 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 all these pain-in-the-butt things. Uh, and the car drives. It, it drives fine. It's just it's as if you're shifting in cement. So anyways, I'll update you guys on what happens with that. And I think I'm going to have to take it back to Renworks. And seriously, I think it's like a bolt or something that needs to loosen or untweak and kind of relieve the stress or the pressure that has been exerted by putting it on the lift. Like, you know, I'll say an unintelligent person would. I don't know why you would ever want to put it on the lift, but there you go. And not use the lift. So it's useless. But anyhow, I'll keep you updated on that. And thank you so much for letting me vent. That was my therapy. I, I just saved $100 an hour or whatever it is. Tomorrow, I'm going to Caffeine and Carburetors in New Canaan, which is the last one of the year where I did the Pagani Huayra shoot, which is going to be great. And then let's go on to the fun subject of SEMA. SEMA is going to be absolutely amazing. 
And I am, uh, I'm really excited to see all my friends and all the people I haven't seen in one year. And, uh, there is going to be so much. I'm actually going to be doing a podcast live from SEMA, SEMA with Hooniverse. So if you listen to TST, which I'm sure you do, you listen to this, definitely check out Hooniverse in the next couple of days. Uh, but I'll be doing that podcast on Monday, um, from Las Vegas. And if you guys are hearing me, uh, before I go out to Las Vegas, which is going to be, I have to turn around, hang on a sec. It is going to be November. Where am I going on? November 4th. So if you hear this beforehand, uh, shoot me an email and then, uh, or meet up with me as we're walking around and checking out. This is like car Mecca heaven crazy. You just walk around and do car things all day long. So my brain is about to explode. So that's my, uh, 10 minutes of rambling. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Detailing steps, again, specific to business owners. So somebody comes up to your shop or somebody comes to your place or somebody calls you or somebody, whatever, meaning you're interacting with a customer. What's the first thing that you're going to do? First thing you want to do is what we call, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm sort of pulling this out in, in, in book form, if you will, understand the customer. What does that mean? So a guy walks up to you or calls you what does, he, what does he ask for first? Does he immediately ask for a discount? Is he looking for the lowest common denominator? Meaning is he saying, uh, you know, what's the cheapest price on this or what's the, and I'm not, I'm not anti-discounts. I'm more, uh, I'm anti-someone uh, trying to get a service at uh, a lower price than is, than is necessary. So what I used to say at my shop is, let's say the price was $100 for whatever it was. And Everybody knew what it was. It was written on the board, on the, on, you know, on the, the price sheet there. Hey, I'll give you 70 bucks. And I say, no problem. I'll do it for that. And they look at me like, oh, cool. That was an easy negotiation. I'm going to say, I'm going to do $70 worth of work. No problem. I said, you know what? You know, even better. I'll do it for $17.50. And they look at me like, whoa, what are you talking about? I'll do $17.50 worth of work. No problem. And then he'll sort of get the idea. I said, I'm only going to do what the work that it takes uh, to get this done, and that's what it costs. If you want to negotiate, you're only going to negotiate down on the level of service that I'm getting, which makes no sense. And half the time they go like, okay, I see your point. Uh, you, you know, let, let's just do it for the $100. Like, okay, thank you. Um, so you kind of have to you know, uh, get your shoulders nice and wide. I don't know how to say that any better way and defend what is the right thing for your business because giving away things does not – make you more money. It doesn't, doesn't really get you the customers that you need. You don't want the customers that want to beat you up every time, um, over a few dollars here and there. And I know that may sound a little bit harsh, but I'm doing that to save you guys. And that's what I did. And you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, successful detailers that I know, that's what you have to do to protect your business. You just don't give it away. So anyways, assess the customer right off the bat. It's just a guy who's asking for discounts. Is he looking for discounts? Is he trying to beat me up? What is he looking for? Now, uh, when he walks in, and I'm, just, I'm, I'm imagining the way I, I had it at my shop. So, you know, I would come outside and greet them. Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Ask me the question. I'm, I'm sort of scanning up and down and figuring out in my brain, hey, is this a customer that fits into my business model or not? And then, okay, most of the time, yeah, he's a great guy, no problem, because I, I, I worked and lived in a great town, and I was very grateful for that. Um, but then I would look at the car. Is the car totally trashed? Or is it perfectly clean? Now, most of you are saying, ooh, if it's perfectly clean, that's a client you want. Or, oh, man, if it's trash, that's not the one that you want. I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate here a little bit and say, I want the opposite. 
I want the card that's really dirty because there's a drastic change from beginning to end. And a lot of times they go, hey, the car's gotten so bad. There's, you know, vomit in the backseat. There's urine, blah, 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 blah. I don't know why. Maybe it was because I thought it was a challenge. But you can charge what's reasonable because someone like that knows, oh, man, I really got to get this car cleaned and such and such and whatever it is. They're they're not going to argue with you. I just, for some reason, I found that in my career. That may not be 100% of the time, but for me, that's the way it worked. And then you'd have a car that was like, immaculate and it came in here and i go like well, man what the heck am i gonna do to this car i wax it uh, yeah you know look at it really hard it, it, it's beautiful just go out there drive it kind of thing and t- the tendency was uh, a lot of times you just couldn't make that you know that particular customer happy is it all the time no but i'm playing devil's advocate like i said i want you to think about these things as a customer comes in that it's not always ooh, this car is clean this is going to be quick money it, it's not the case like that so Again, understand your customer. Um, uh, and then kind of the, the last one is uh, maybe more of my pet peeve is how do they treat you? Do they treat you, I, you know, come here guy and do this kind of thing? Or do they treat you like someone who isn't educated, who hasn't, you know, worked really hard to, to, um, to build this business kind of thing? So maybe that was my, uh, my little Achilles heel as I went to all these amazing schools and I went to blah, 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 blah. I've chosen to do this job. And I, uh, you know, I worked for a lot of guys who may have been in finance. You know that uh, most of you know that I was in finance for a short period of time. And I said, you know what, this is not for me. I want to do what I want to do, which was this. And, you know, there was that distinction between, uh, oh, well, <laughs> you must just wash cars all day long and, you know, ha, 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 kind of thing. And if I got that vibe, uh, I would just, uh, I would really ask them, you know, I wouldn't say get out of here. I'm, I'm not that kind of person, but you know, I, I would definitely shoo them to somebody else. Um, and I know Mike Phillip talks about that and say, Hey, if it doesn't work out, there's a guy down the street. And I really embrace that and say, there's a guy down the street. He pumps gas during the day, which was true. And I said at night and on the weekends, he can detail your car. A lot of people look at me like, Whoa, this is weird. How, why is he, you know, encouraging me or showing me that, uh, you know, somebody else can do it. It's because I was very confident in what I was doing. And I knew, uh, that I was giving a really great service. And if someone wasn't fitting into that model, I, would, I wouldn't I would say, get out of here. I would say, hey, there's another option there and hope that they would take it. It's just a more graceful way of getting them to not um, you know, be a patron of your place. And I know that sounds very strange that I'm saying that, but believe me, these little things are so important for your sanity, for running your business and finding the right customers that will actually be profitable for your business. And that's, what's important, not catering to every single person and every single needs. That's what, uh, one of the sayings that, you know, I just read a lot. It says go niche or go home. And that's kind of the thing you want to be an expert at a very particular thing. Uh, and then the rest of it, you just, you can't please everybody. So, uh, you know, and I'll end, I'll end number one, which is understand the customer with, with a story that I'll never forget. Um, where a customer came into me and basically said, uh, no, he didn't actually basically say he said this. He walked in, threw the keys at me and said, clean it. And then started walking down the street. Cause we had a bunch of businesses down the street and he would walk to the, one of the trader places or whatever. And I'm looking at this and my guys are looking at me and I'm like, wow, I have a decision to make, you know, do I look like a, whatever in front of my guys, my, my helper, you know, workers, my employees, or do, you know, I go strangle this guy, which also makes you look like a psycho, which is not good. So there's, you know, there's, what they say, you know, distinguishes someone is this, whenever you get the stimulus, it's the reaction. Uh, you know, what, what you're, you're determined by, uh, the space between the stimulus, meaning the guy throwing something at you or punching you or whatever, 
and your reaction. That's what defines someone is that space between those two actions. And if you can control yourself and, uh, you know, come out with something better than what most people do. So if somebody throws the keys at you, uh, that's the stimulus. And the reaction is go F yourself and blah, blah, blah. What defines someone who has great control and leadership is someone who can control that little space in between those two things. Uh, anyways, um, I've been trying like crazy to, uh, <laughs> to, to master that, but it's not that easy. I want to go choke this guy. So basically I walked away from the shop and talked to him as he was walking. I said, Hey, listen, I'm really excited that you want to come and, 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 you know, use the, we were called the New York motor club at that point. That was years and years ago. Um, and I said, I'm glad you want to use the club and, and have me detail your car, but I, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just not going to work because I, I, we just don't operate that way. That was just completely unacceptable to throw keys almost at my face. It hit me like in the chest, a little bit below the throat. Um, uh, cause you're having a bad day, which is what he was telling me. Oh, the market, blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, I totally understand, but you know, we're just not third world citizens or, you know, when we don't, you can't treat people like garbage like that. So, um, again, uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but I want people to be cognizant and think of understand the customer. Are they good people? If they're great people, let's make it work. Just bend over backwards and do the thing. But if they're not, don't feel bad about not taking them. That that's, you know, the customer is always right. Is a great saying, but it's not always realistic. So uh, I'm going to put myself out there and say that. So moving on to number two uh, of the steps when somebody walks in is once a car comes in and they pass their little filter. Now that filter, as you get better, will take five seconds. You know, you'll just, you'll know, just your business, you know, after years, you do it, bang, I know if this is going to work or not. Um, so what you do next is you walk around the car, you inspect the car. And while you're doing that, this was something that was very valuable, valuable to me that I learned over time is while you're doing that, you must educate the customer at that time. So you're, you're walking around, you're kind of bending over and looking at, get to the wheels kind of thing and looking down and blah, 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 blah. And you're talking to the customer. And instead of saying, Hey, you have a scratch right here, mister. And I didn't do it. And blah, 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 blah. The way that you do it is you speak intelligently and softly and quietly and you say, wow, this scratch right here, I can only imagine this looks about the same height as when, you know, maybe you went to the grocery store and somebody opened their door against you and you have a little ding and a scratch. We can try to, uh, you know, uh, we can get somebody here to pull the dent. I'm not a dent guy, but we have, you know, a dent guy that worked with. We can pull that dent out for you. So you're actually, you know, doing quote upselling, but not even that. Forget about the upselling. It's that you're talking to the customer, you're educating them, but at the same time, I'm sorry. It's just part of business. I'm going to say it. You're covering your ass. You're just letting them know that you know that there's a dent there, but you're not saying, hey, man, there's a dent there. I didn't do that. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. That's unprofessional. And that's just not the way you want to go. So I talked to them about, hey, maybe that happened here. Maybe that happened over here or whatever. And, you know, a wheel scuff, uh, you know, some guys I say, oh, look at that wheel scuff. You know, we can fix that up for you kind of thing. Or uh, were, you, were you doing that when you're going fast around a turn? I, I'm kind of jockeying or joking a little bit to 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 not be like heavy handed and 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 explain to them that I didn't do that kind of thing but the, you hopefully you get the point in my voice that you want to walk around see what's wrong with it educate them let them know that you know that it's there but in a soft way and uh that alone will help you avoid massive issues and save you a bunch of money because when you get into that um uh, position which we'll probably do another whole podcast on what do you do with um customers that aren't working out for you, which is what I'm doing in that seminar. Uh, there, there's certain things you need to do. And if the best, the best way to win a fight, as they say, is to avoid it. And this is what I'm trying to get you to do is to avoid that fight. So first thing you want to look for, ding, scratches, rim scuffs, 
all the typical things, but sort of the things that maybe most people don't realize is um, something for me, I don't know what it was, was the dashboard buttons. You got to watch those buttons, look at them, make sure they're not peeled off. A lot of old BMWs, you know, if you monkey around and you play with the with the switches for the radio and that sort of thing, it'll turn white, meaning you, you've scratched it off. And then a lot of the armrests and center consoles, especially in Ferraris and, and some BMWs, they just, they turn to these goopy, um, like plasticky thing that comes off. So you got to be heads up on that. And of course, any rips and tears, look at the headliner, but you just, you're taught, I'm, by the way, it, it it's going to take longer uh, for me to talk about it than for you to actually do it, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm giving you the full information, but bang, this is all within a minute. They don't even know. They're not like waiting around. These are just all these little process things that you need to go through before you take in a customer. All right. Next thing uh, is number three, pricing. Now, we're going to talk about pricing briefly, but I like to kind of prime the pump with them. If you think you're going to need to charge them more uh, to do a service, you want to do it now. Don't do the service and then go like, oh, crap. Uh, I got to charge them more afterwards. I would actually recommend, guess what? You learned a valuable lesson, education. Uh, there's another saying, you know, ed- no education is for free. Well, you just educated yourself and you paid for it um, by giving them uh, a service and losing out on time. So if your service is $200 for whatever it is, I'm not going to price your, your business, but $200 for something, and, and that something usually takes two hours and it takes you four hours, well, guess what? You just uh, lost a whole bunch of money, a.k.a. you paid for your education. So if you're going to, if you're going to, uh, if you know you're going to run into some issues, make sure you wave that red flag. Like, Hey, listen, I know it's a standard 200, but because of this, this, and this, it might be a little bit more. Believe me, uh, sir or ma'am, I'm going to do everything I can to minimize that. And it's really, it's not an additional charge. It's just more labor hours. So, uh, we have to cover that somehow. And I'm being honest with you. And they go, and the most of the time they'll go, oh, okay, that, you know, I totally get that. But the point of what I'm saying is do that during the walk around. You do not want to do that on a phone call like, oh, crap, uh, 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 we, you know, we took your car in and we didn't realize. Well, why didn't you realize? Well, and you're going in your mind, well, crap, because I didn't go and open the trunk and look under, you know, I didn't realize that there was vomit everywhere or something crazy, which is kind of a, uh, kind of a silly thing. And, and when you're doing that, by the way, um, so those three kind of things, what the steps um, and again, I'm not talking about then pull your polisher out. I'm not talking about that. We'll, we'll talk about that another day, but more, uh, mentally when you're doing those steps, you know, you, you want to, uh, you really want to gauge what's going on with the customer and, and figure out what's the most important thing to this particular customer. That's kind of my last little point here. Does he say, I only want the exterior done or I only want the interior done? Well, there you go. That's pretty, pretty basic. But if he's like, oh, you know, clean the car or, you know, uh, I, I, there's a smell inside the interior, you kind of want to investigate that more because I'm going to ask you this. Here's a question for you and you'll, you'll know the answer. What's the first thing that the customer is going to see when they pick up their car, quote, after it's detailed and perfect and amazing for, you know, $200 or whatever? They're going to look at the thing that was pissing them off the most when they gave you the car. So maybe it's the exterior. Oh, there's a bird poo and it burned into the stain. Well, guess what? You're going to have to wet sand it. Mental note. Okay, what's my priority? Make sure I get that out. Make sure it's perfect. Bah, 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 bah. And roll with me here because that's going to go into this, the, the, the crux of this uh, conversation. Or what if he says, man, I had a lot of this. Uh, I got coffee stains. I'm driving every day. I have my coffee thing and it dripped down and, and it messed up the rug and blah, 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 blah. 
So what's going to be the most important thing? What is he going to look at? The coffee stains that hopefully aren't there when he gets back in the car. And we can go on and on and on. Oh, the trunk has a stain. Oh, the da-da-da-da. Oh, the seat is, you know, whatever. So while you're doing all these things, and I'll recap what we talked about, understanding the customer, is this the right guy? Is this the right fit? Usually it is. If it isn't, push them away nicely to to somebody else because it's more trouble than sometimes it's worth. Inspect the car. Let them know that you know, but do it in a graceful way. Pricing, uh, make sure you... Uh, cover the pricing issue if there is one beforehand, which you'll derive from all the steps, number one, number two, number three. And the last one is, of course, um, I want to know what he values the most. That's what I'm going to work on. So going into the next gargantuan, having all those steps, kind of burn them into your mind and think about what are the actual, I'm getting a little bit more micro now, what are the actual steps I'm going to do on the car? Well, all this, the steps that you're going to do on the car, it's not, as I say in my seminar, it's not cookie cutter. The first step is you do this. The second step, that's not realistic. That's just not the way it works. There's no, there's no product that's going to, you can put, wipe on your car and you get 17 years without washing it. And, but it's nonsense. So, so I'm just cutting through kind of the crap right now. And the same thing with the business. So all number one, number two, number three that we just talked about, that's going to f- funnel down, at least for me. I'm giving you my perspective, by the way. There isn't right or wrong. I don't. Maybe I'm not right. I don't know. But this is the way I've been doing it, and this is the way it's been successful to me. So try it, and you know, give me some feedback. But um, it, I've been doing it for 15 years or whatever, and it's worked. When I go through those steps, I would then say to myself, "Okay, we're going to play uh, the two schools of thought that I alluded to before." And again, we're talking specifically about a business. I just want to make sure um, that we're on the same page here. So the traditional way is sort of a little bit more cookie cutter where you say the steps are this again regardless of one two or three you're just a guy that got a car and you didn't talk to the customer you have no idea the first step is if you're going to polish the glass do that one great the second step is if you're if you're going to polish the headlight meaning it needs it or requires and i'm just you don't just do it even though that's kind of the conventional do this step then you clay then you polish. the car doesn't need anything you look at it real shiny and then you let you let it go that's that's the gift that's like being a doctor and just doing a surgery because you want to do surgery. No, no, you have, a, you have an obligation to not do a surgery if the person doesn't need it or to recommend. So that's kind of the, I mean, I'm being drastic here, but that's kind of the same idea that I'm trying to uh, you know, install in these future detailers. So hypothetically, if it needed it, by the way, you do the glass. If it needed it, you do the headlight next. Then you would do the engine. Then you would wash and of course, when I say wash, I mean do the wheels first, rinse down, ba 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 ba. You know the whole thing. So I'm being a little bit brief here. Then you do the interior, and then you do the paint. That's kind of the traditional way. Meaning, with a blindfold on, that's sort of a safe way of doing it. It's not. I'm not. Uh, I hope you don't get by my tone that I'm saying that's the wrong way to do it. People who are, I'm not. I'm just saying that's the tra- traditional way of doing it. But I'm sort of posing to you guys and saying. Now that you know steps one, two, and three, and basically how to assess the person, seeing the money, you know, CYA, if there's any dents and things and what have you, if someone comes in, and remember the fourth one is, what is it that they want? If somebody comes in and says, I want my exterior to be protected, and I'm so concerned about that, and blah, 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 and basically your mind goes, okay, I know that this guy is all about the look of the car on the outside. He wants us to vacuum inside and, you know, clean up a little thing here and there, wipe the down the dash, ba 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 ba. But, you know, this is his baby and he wants the outside protected. To me, it doesn't seem like 
uh, especially in a business. I cannot emphasize that enough where you're moving lots of cars or you're, you have a schedule. It seems more important to me or more logical to me to start with the exterior of the car, which is what he, the owner that you derived, the business owner, <clears throat> understand as being the most valuable thing to the customer when he comes back, a.k.a. Um, customer retention, customer values. Him basically saying, wow, business owner, number one, detailer guy, awesome job. That's what you want. That's that's what everybody wants. So why not focus on the thing that he wants the most? And we And I, for simplicity purposes, I split them into two things, exterior, interior. So basically, if the guy says, I want you to focus all your time on the on the exterior, I focus, uh, I work first on the exterior. Now, again, there's still a process, meaning I'm not going to put uh, wax on the car, then then wash it. I mean, so you got to roll with me a little bit here, but I'm just posing something to you. So the, the other instance, let's say a mommy comes in and I created this wash and you're welcome to use it, but I called the mommy wash. And the only reason why I did that is it spoke to mommies. And basically, I took a wash and increased the increased the price uh, a little bit more, significantly more than a wash, but significantly less than a detail. And I did it very, very fast. I had to pull one of my guys and, and put somebody on there. And it was profitable for me. And the reason why is every time I got into a wash with a mommy, meaning a van showed up at my at my place, it was costing me a fortune because they wanted me to keep doing a little bit more, keep doing a little bit more, keep doing a little more. And I would because I was a nice guy and I wanted them to keep coming back. But I was running the numbers and I realized I was losing money. So I said, why don't I create a product that people want? And I created the mommy wash. You definitely should use that if you have a detailing business. So um, what I did was uh, I basically gave them something that they wanted. And when I was detailing it, it was sort of like, they were loving the fact that we were doing that. But when somebody would roll into the shop with with this sort of car that needed it, I didn't start with the exterior. I would focus hardcore on the interior because generally speaking, it took me a little bit longer. I wanted to spend the most amount of time on the thing that they valued the most. That's sort of, you know, if you could sum up my little conversation I try to do in a half an hour and just get you guys to think. Again, there's no right or wrong. I'd, there's no ego involved here. It's just I'm posing a bunch of things for you guys to think about. Focus on when a vehicle comes in, the thing that's most valuable to the person that you're going to give the car back to. And the reason why I'm saying that is, generally speaking, you have to spend a little bit more time and care on that particular aspect, exterior versus interior. So why not give yourself the most amount of time? So if you're going to be in a time crunch for, let's, let's say, which, you know, everybody is run into as a detail shop or any sort of owner of any business, you want to have the thing that they're valuing the most done the most it possibly can. And then, you know, God, you know, God forbid, then, you know, you skimp on or you miss or you just get on your knees and say, oh, my bad, I'm sorry, on the thing that they value the least. It's kind of an intelligent way of doing things. Again, I'm not saying... Um, you know, do the interior of the car, then wash the engine, then do the wheels, then wax it, then buff it, then polish it, then wash it, like all out of order. That would be goofy. But make sure, the bottom line is this, make sure you spend the most amount of time or give yourself the most amount of time on the thing that the customer values the most. That's sort of, uh, that's that's about as far as I'll go uh, with that in terms of the steps. So remember the things that we said before, evaluate the customer. Is he is he being kind to you? I mean, I know that's a broad term. Uh, is he trying to get discounts out of you? Is he trying to beat you up? 
Um, what does the car look like? Make sure that you do a walk around, but at the same time, uh, you're not being aggressive and saying, I didn't do that. You know, you, you got to talk to them a certain way. And then it, over years of experience, you know, this is something that you'll gain. This isn't something you just read in a book and then boom, you're all, you know, instantly a, an amazing negotiator or, or, or business owner. Um, you know, you talk to them about, hey, this is going to be a little bit more because it's outside the scope of the package or the thing that you're buying. And that will save you a massive amount of pain in the butt going later on in the future. Plus, you'll actually be profitable, which is a good thing. So um, I just laid on a whole lot of stuff on you guys. And again, we we just like kind of ricocheted off of some big topics very, very briefly, very high level, uh, meaning I did. I, st I tried to stay as macro as possible and not get into the nitty-gritty of things. Hopefully, I just triggered a few things for you guys to think about when you interact with your customer. Okay, I am exhausted. It's super late at night. I got to get ready for SEMA. Let's interview. Uh, let's hop on with my buddy Robert because he uh, he's super smart, and I'm really excited to chat with him. So without further ado, let's talk to him. Hey, Robert, are you there? I am indeed, Larry. How are things? Hey, no worries, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I always wanted to... Um, sort of one of my goals was to talk to somebody or, uh, you know, interview them, if you will, from people listening to the podcast and watching the videos. And I wanted that perspective of, you know, international because you are in Ireland. And, yeah, indeed. Uh, you, you are, in, I guess, after one or two um, times that you speak, I think everybody will know you're from Ireland. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to see how the videos are traveling and how the podcasts are traveling. And I, mean, I think you could help me as well say, Hey, you, you know, what if we talk about this or, Hey, you know, this video has helped. But what about a video? So I'm sort of reaching out to a lot of the, the, we'll just call them the viewers of podcasts and videos and, and see what they're thinking. And then we can talk about, you know, what's different over in the, in the UK and over in Ireland versus, uh, you know, the United States. I'm loving, I just want to know more about, uh, what's going on over there. So I appreciate you taking the time and, and chatting with us. Yeah, no problem at all. I mean, the first thing I'd say is, I mean, I find the, the drive team videos, you know, they're, I think they're excellent. They're very informative. Um, I found out about them as most maybe UK or at least European based people would through Piston Heads, the website, which mm -hmm. links into the Drive channel through, say, Chris Harris would have been the link there, I suppose, his videos are on both. Yep, yep, he's there. Yeah, so on the Drive channel, obviously, I mean, you have an episode which was previously, you know, every Wednesday um, for, you know, one or two seasons per year. So obviously, I mean, they're detailing videos. And when you go to describe that to somebody, you know, a detailing video, it sounds like the nerdiest thing possible. It, it does sound like the nerdiest thing. You know how bad I had a fight to try to get those on? And people were like, seriously, you want to videotape you washing a car? I'm like, believe me, I really think people would like it. And they're like, uh, all right, well, here's a couple of episodes we'll give you. Try it. If it fails miserably, then we won't do it again. But yes, thankfully, like, it kept going. <laughs> even though you're trying to explain this to my mates, like a detailing video, it sounds awful. But I think the point of it is that I think Americans in particular have a knack of making, you know, nerdy topics seem cool. I think that that's successfully done through the, the drive clean videos. You know, everything's explained very well, very articulately. And I mean, there's great attention to detail there. Also, the, the camera guys, I think, are pretty good as well on the show in terms of it. It's a nice production. It, it looks well. I think, you know, for people certainly into detailing, they're great to watch. I mean, I think they're the first of their kind. Um, over to correction on that, but certainly the first kind of videos I've seen about detailing um, anywhere online. So, so they're quite good. Um, yeah. So I suppose the thing about the videos is the funny thing about them is, I mean, if I had started watching them, you know, before I got a car, before I started detailing, um, I suppose a lot of the mistakes 
um, kind of learn or kind of weekend warrior type make mistakes that um, you address in the videos. So just one I can think of um, straight away is tire sling, for example. So I remember when I first got um, my, my first car and I wanted to, you know, wet look tires was the thing, the look I was going for. So I remember buying a product and it was kind of a, a loopy product and I went the whole hog, bought the applicator pad and so on, put it on the tires, far too thickly, of course, didn't buff it off or anything. Thought it looked great, drove down the road and of course, got out of the car, looked back at it and of course, tire sling had gone complete, all the, the product had slung up with the paint <laughs> on the car. So, I mean, that just reminds me of... Um, a recent video you had with it, you got a brother guy on. I think it was was he a, a, a DJ in relation to he was detailing a Passat CC. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the. Um, he's also on uh, another show called Fastlane Daily. That's it. Um, that's right. Yeah, so there was a, there was a funny part in that. Just reminded me of the tiresome moment when um, you know you, he put the product on the um, the machine polisher, put it on the yeah. uh, the wrong angle, and it slung all over the place, which uh, I think was funny. I think the beauty of that video in particular was you know. The audience was kind of, you know, people who had watched you on the video, watched the, the driving videos. I mean, the, the correct way to do it, obviously, they've seen it, you know, tens of times. So they're kind of on your side there. So it was funny, like, kind of they, were, they were laughing on it with you at him, and he was a great sport for doing it. Uh, he was he was super cool. I, I, I honestly did not tell him that he was going to do that because I wanted to make it as, <laughs> as pure as it could be. With You know what I mean? I didn't want anybody faking it because I know him, and he's <laughs> super, super chill. Uh, he's just a relaxed guy, and I was like, uh, you know, this is a great learning experience. So kudos to him. Yeah, it's Derek D from um, the Fast Lane Daily episodes. So, anyways, yeah, no, that's that. That was a fun video. But the the Drive Channel and the Drive family is pretty cool because everybody can give uh, you know a very unique perspective as opposed to hardcore journalist sort of thing. It's more yeah. journalist, but it's also you know it's the personalities. You know, Matt Farah, Chris Harris, Mike Musto, Leo Parente, uh, JF. Uh, Mike Spinelli, they're all, they're all, uh, you know, individual characters, which makes it pretty cool. So yeah, it, I'm glad it's resonating, uh, you know, on the other side of the pond, you know? Yeah. It's like those different personalities kind of bring the videos to life. And it's also interesting as well, you know, the, the lengths that, you know, car detailers slash enthusiasts will go to, you know, I, for example, you know, rush to my car like every week and, you know, it's rain, hail, shine. I think most people would, especially if there's a car show coming up or something and the weather is kind of no barrier. And that's something you often see into the videos as well. When you're right, I mean, it's freezing cold and you're shooting a video and you're detailing a car at the same time. Or when you're getting up extra early, you know, to detail a car before a car show. I mean, we've all done that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a, you know an observation there. You know those kind of things and travel throughout, regardless of where you are in the world. You know all enthusiasts do that, do those kind of strange things. It's totally everybody. I think people thought it was like an underground. Uh, you know, I, I'm the only guy that gets up at 6 a.m. to prepare a car for 7:30. You know, leaving or what? You know, everybody. But then once we put something like that on the air, I, I have been seeing it just a huge inflow. Uh, you know, of emails and, and contacts saying like, dude, I, I totally thought I was the only one that was doing <laughs> such and such. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I do it too. And then, you know, I'm, I'm trying to connect people saying we all do it. We all have this like secret craziness. That's, that's the beauty of why um, I sort of, I sort of envisioned this might be cool. Even I was, when I was pitching it to the drive channel, I'm saying to myself, wow, this is, this is really weird. Maybe I'm just the only psycho that does this all the time, but, um, well, you were cool probably enough. more extreme than most. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That, that's fair enough. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that one on the chin for sure. Talking about cold weather. I mean, I can think of an incident myself. I remember, I mean, the second car I got, my, my current car was, um, you know, an Audi TT and it was the depth of winter was January and people typically buy cars. 
I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to give it the whole works now. It was a ridiculous time when I started. It was like 4 p.m. in the afternoon, you know, or a little bit earlier, actually. It was getting, getting a bit dark. And decided, okay, I'll give it the full wash, give it the full wax. And it was actually so cold out. I used this kind of this particular wax part. It's actually blue. Put it on the car and it buffed off fine. But about five minutes later, um, what happened was the, the wax had solidified back into like icy blue kind of deposits on the car the car looked like it had a kind of a disease no kidding <laughs> yeah, yeah so i never used that product again and it was wax i bought particularly you know for this car new car new day delighted to use it use it and actually solidified again so whatever it was in the compound it wasn't oh to um, being applied i've never heard of that before <laughs> yeah. that's hysterical i'd love to see a picture if you have one of those send those over i'll post it up yeah, I must, I must go and find. I think I did actually take a picture of it at the time. <laughs> no, strange stuff as well, you know, like snow clearing. Remember, we we particularly bad snow there. Um, it was last year, the year before. And, you know, the previous night, I had to actually abandon my car um, somewhere else, get a lift home in a proper 4x4 Jeep. Um, then the following day, like, obviously, I could drive my car home, but I couldn't actually drive it for the whole week because the roads were so bad. TTs are absolutely useless in the snow. Just <laughs> um, really? So... Um, Obviously, the car's outside, it's dirty under the snow. What do you do about that? I mean, it just kind of, it's one of those things that kind of annoys you for the whole week. So I decided, okay, one day, you know, when it stopped snowing or whatever, it was nice and sunny out, the snow was kind of dropping off the car in like big lumps. And I said, you know, I'm just going to take the car out, give it a wash, put it back again. So the first problem, obviously, is like, how do you get the snow off the car? <laughs> that's, the, that's the first thing about kind of damaging the paint because it's kind of icy at this stage, just kind of thawing. Now, I know at this point you'd probably whip out like, you know, 20 microfiber cloths and some new product like Ammo Snow or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm taking that name. That's a good one. Ammo Snow, good. I like it. I, I want permission if you use that. Yeah, that uh, all right, sold. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you basically you picked up the hose and it was so cold, the hose actually broke. It was so brittle and freezing. So defrosted that and eventually got to clean the car. But I suppose another kind of mad thing that only people into cars and car detailing would even contemplate doing something like that. You know, most people for the entire winter would never clean their car. But when you have car shows and stuff coming up um, or you just can't leave the car outside dirty, I suppose maybe a small bit of, you know, I think everybody into car and car detailing would have a slight bit of OCD. But <laughs> that's certainly um, an experience that I had anyway. Yeah, I think what's cool and what you know what I I'm, I'm trying to you know get across sometimes is the the detailing community how we differentiate between uh people who are into the detailing and people who are not is in my I'm trying to get the words out properly but for me and I think you and a lot of people who are or obsessed with it it's not a chore to no, clean it's the car. It's not like, oh man, I got to go clean my car. I kind of go like, I really had a long day. I'm kind of tired. I did blah, 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 whatever. I need to go relax and clean my car. And I think for people who aren't into cleaning cars, that's where they think, wow, this person needs some serious psychological help kind of thing. Yeah, so, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think that's, you know, that's kind of broad, you know, across well, so what country are they? And people into cars actually like detailing. I mean, it is a kind of a relaxing, enjoyable thing to do, you know. It's quite a rewarding job as well. When you wash, you clay, you wax a car. I mean, it's a great job at the end of the day. It doesn't take that long, but, you know, it's very rewarding to look at. Oh, yeah. There's a, you know, um, an instant satisfaction sort of thing where it's like, this is maybe a bad example, but cutting your lawn, you know, like your lawn is really high or whatever, and you cut it and you're like, oh, it looks beautiful right now. And I only took X amount of time to do it as opposed to, you know, building a bridge or something where it takes six years working on that thing every single day when you see these tiny little increments. 
sometimes can be psychologically like you're not going anywhere. I think the part that's cool about detailing is if you spend a couple of hours, I'm being very broad or general here, generally speaking, the car looks way better than it did six hours earlier. And it's like, aha, now it looks good. I had fun. So and it's something else is relevant as well as the fact that it's kind of like a common denominator among kind of car enthusiasts, regardless of what type of car it is. Generally, people into cars want to have their car looking as well as it could possibly look. So, and detailing it isn't that expensive to get into. So, it is a kind of common denominator. That's why it's so popular, regardless of whether you're driving a Bugatti Veyron or a Rolls Royce Wraith or a Mini. Um, you know, it's something people can do is detail their car. I think that's no, it's such a popular for thing. Sh- for sure, totally. And we've talked about this, I think, one of my first podcasts, or I don't even remember when, but the car itself. So, you have detailing. And then, if you go, if you go a little bit higher level, you think about the car itself. The car in that in our culture is is a you know what we call equalizing. So you can have the guy with the Bugatti, and I can pull up in my Porsche, which literally is half of the price of his one wheel, half of the price. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's what I'm. So it's like the price difference is massively different. But we, he and I can sit and talk, and it's as if we're brothers under the skin. You know what I mean? It's it doesn't. Like, who cares? It's the same community. And if you drill down even further, you know, that's that, that same sort of thing with uh, with detailing. It, it, you follow me on that? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think as well, you know, I think detailers or people into cars as well have got the same kind of fear. It's kind of strange thing that other people don't uh, notice. For example, leaving your car into a garage, you know, for, for servicing or back to the dealership for some little problem to be corrected. I mean, the worst fear is that they will you know, give you, you know, the complimentary car wash because as we know, like the, the perception among people into cleaning cars is when you give your car in there, they don't wash the car, they shot blast it. So <laughs> that's generally the fear. So, so um, it's certainly not even why in, I mean, there's a big sticker on it going, don't wash. <laughs> yeah, that totally. At least we have the same fear that you have in Ireland. We have here in the States. Yeah, definitely. We believe me you're making uh, my skin crawl right now thinking about leaving my car somewhere and then having somebody wash it and give it back to you. Oh my God. Yeah. Blast all the wax off it. <laughs> so tell me more about Ireland. What is the, how is it? Have you been to the United States by the way? I have of course. I've been to San Francisco a few times. All right. So give me the different, I've never been to Ireland unfortunately, but what is the, how is it different? I mean, talk, talk to me. Is, is it different? smaller streets? Is it like a cobblestone? I don't know. I'm being, I, I'm, I don't know. If you're you're being a, a picture postcard. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I have no idea. Quite like that. No, well, I mean, I mean, San Francisco is a city. You know, similar in size to Dublin. Dublin maybe a, a slight bit larger. So, you know, it, it isn't uh, you know small cottages in the west of Ireland, and you know little leprechauns running about or any of that. It's quite, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite a modern country, particularly the east coast. You know, um, that is very scenic. You know, on the west coast as well, and there's certainly scenic parts of the east too. But in terms of cars, I think. The main difference is in relation to, you know, first, pricing is very, very different. Tax on cars is very, very different. Rates you pay for cars are very, very different. So the biggest of it is a pinpoint one thing that's very, very different. It's kind of attitudes towards engine size. So in America, you know, the perception is, you know, and the cars are, I mean, generally quite big engines. You know, you have four litres. That would be nothing unusual over there. You know, V8s are commonplace over there. In Ireland, actually, due to kind of the way the, the BRT system is structured and how much people pay for their cars is based on CO2 emissions, the preference is for, you know, small engine cars. Certainly, there will be very few cars over, say, two litres in capacity. But those cars are typically turbocharged or supercharged or whatever. But, you know, three litre straight sixes 
wouldn't be popular. If we were to take the BMW range, for example, um, with a BMW, say a 3 Series or the new 4 Series, which is the kind of new two-door coupe of the 3 Series. I mean, over the market, I'd imagine the 330, you know, CI would be very popular. Um, the M3 equally, or the M4 um, equally popular. Here it's more the 320D. You know, I've noticed no, even from my time in San Francisco with the Mercedes range, I mean, a Mercedes dealership over there will typically stock, you know, the 500, 600 and the AMG. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably even haven't heard of like the 200, the 240, the 280, whereas those, no. th- those would be the big sellers in Ireland, certainly the entry level kind of 200 CDI due to, you know, tax reasons and so on and, and the expense, how ex- more expensive the cars are, um, they're the most popular. So you probably get, get uh, you know, a, a, a um, what Mercedes, say CL 600 or something for a similar price to, say, a 300 CDI in, in Ireland. No kidding. So there's there's like a structure where it's the cost of the car. I, I'm just I want to be clear because you're teaching me here. It's the cost of the car plus the cylinder size, or are they are they op, like are they different? Is it just so the cylinder size? So it used to be the cost of the car, and then the the tax proportionality of the price of the car was based on the cubic capacity of the engine. And um, now that's changed. It's based on CO2 emissions, and obviously. Oh. Cars that are big engines have more CO2 emissions, particularly petrol cars. So um, they get higher what we call vehicle registration tax or VRT rates. So if the car is A, petrol, and B, if it has a big engine, you're going to get penalised and pay an awful lot more for it. So let's take the example of a car that is, you know, it's particularly popular in the media in the UK, for example, which would be new BMW M135i. So as we know, that's a straight six turbocharged um, car, BMW 1 Series, 320 horsepower. And the price of that in the UK would be in around 30,000 sterling. And of course, that's quite reasonably priced. You know, that's why it's so popular among the journalists. You know, we have a rear wheel drive, three litre turbocharged car here um, for 30,000 sterling. It seems like remarkable value that car in Ireland would be about the equivalent of 40,000 sterling. So it doesn't, wouldn't be quite so popular here. So they're kind of the, the differences. I mean, I suppose it's, it's most amplified by, um, say, the, take, for example, the Mercedes um, A45 AMG, which would be a two-litre, four-cylinder, turbocharged car. I think with the, you know, with stringent regulations and people needing to, or manufacturing to bring down their CO2 emissions, and it's now becoming more popular to, for manufacturers to downsize. So, I mean, the A45 AMG is a classic case in point. I mean, here we have a car that produces 360 horsepower, but it's a two-litre, four-cylinder engine. Who would have thought you could have gotten, you know, that, you know, power output from such a small engine, you know, a few years ago? That's typically, you know, V8 power, V12 power, that kind of thing. Maybe not V12, but certainly V8. Yeah, no, totally. I, I get what you're saying. Do you think it has anything to do, and again, educate me, on on the – the roads or the driving uh, aspect, like, you know, America is big, you know, proposed, uh, big open highways, big V8s, big v, uh, V10s and 12s and hammer down kind of thing. In Ireland, is it different? Are the roads like shorter, you know, squirrelier kind of things where like a big Cadillac V8 would just not also be fun or feasible as well as the mm-hmm. engine size? You follow what I'm saying? I do, exactly. Um, no, well, I mean, obviously, the, quite the large motorways here as well um, in Ireland. I think it, it's more um, the the reason why such large engine cars aren't popular is the initial purchase price due to CO2 emissions that also uh-huh. affects the annual motor tax. So motor tax is also about now based on CO2 emissions. Then there's the Jeez. actual basic cost of petrol, for example, would be an awful lot more expensive. You know, per litre in Ireland, you're talking about €1.60. 
roughly, you know, for Patrick at the moment. Whereas I know what it is in America, but it's an, an awful lot cheaper than that. So, you know, quintessential, I mean, you know, historically, if you went back into history, I mean, there was never a culture, even before the CO2, you know, regulations came in or CO2 tax structure came in about, you know, having a large en- engine capacity car in Ireland. And um, due to, I mean, for the first thing that prohibits that petrol. So a little bit different over here, but again, you know, with manufacturing downsizing, I think, um, you know, the gap is getting smaller and smaller. So you see, you know, Audi now, say, for example, or say BMW with their M5, no longer is it a V10, it's now a V8. So they're bringing the size down. And as that happens, you know, typically engine sizes across the world will fall because everybody has, every manufacturer has to abide by, you know, the CO2 regulations. What would you say the percentage of... of um... I'm going to use petrol to diesel, meaning for Americans, gas to diesel. What's the what's the ratio for you guys there? Here at the moment, astonishingly, it would be about seventy percent diesel. Wow! New, new car sales. What would it be in America? Um, you know, th- this this is more of a uh, a Matt Farah question because he seems to have all those answers. But I, in my opinion, in terms of my daily life, I would say diesel, maybe twenty percent. 25%. I think it's going to go way up in the future. Uh, obviously, no no one's really uh disputing that and I'm a big fan of diesel. I own a diesel truck, but if you, in in my life in my world in New York, I would say maybe 20% if that all the rest is is gas. See, that's the so it's the complete opposite which is what you would expect. And there is that there, there is a small I guess kind of a stigma or whatever you want to call it associated with I think diesel cars particularly as a car enthusiast. I mean, I mean you have the name at petrol head, it's not diesel head. <laughs> you know, people in, into cars tend to, you know, prefer a petrol car than a diesel one. It's a typically associated with sports cars and so on. And I would have thought that myself, but actually the new diesel cars, I mean, you drive them, I mean, the performance is actually, you know, very, very good. I mean, they've improved so much over the past, you know, 15, 10, 15 years, really the power output, the torque and so on. Just people need to get over that initial hump of accepting, okay, diesel is now the way to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the gap is certainly shrinking. And I think in the next five years or so, you know, that I think our percentage is... I wouldn't go so far as to say double, but it's certainly going to go way up. And I am a huge fan. I mean, the big thing for Americans, I think, and I'm going to speak for all Americans here, is the smell. Oh, God, it smells. But I think, you know, with the refining process and the fact that these the motors and the engines and the whole nine yards that are uh, uh, wrapped around these diesel cars, it doesn't smell anymore. It's, it's perfectly not smelly. I think that's the thing that I, oh, my God, a diesel car stinks like diesel. Yeah. It's not the case anymore. I also think as well, I mean, people are obsessed with kind of CO2 emissions, but surely there are, I know there are other things that are emitted from diesel cars. I wonder, will they start measuring someday that may affect, and if they start basing you know, tax base on that, maybe in a different scenario, there could be a flight back to petrol. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be true, and I hope that doesn't happen because that would be a nightmare for uh, for us in the States. So I'm feeling, actually, I'm feeling pretty good now that I go pay my, uh, I think it's like 367 for regular and three you know, plus 20 cents, whatever, uh, for, for super over here. And I'm feeling pretty crappy, but then when I heard, heard your prices, all right, maybe I'll go down there and, you know, uh, yeah, some super for the Subaru. I think cars that are kind of, you look at the, the, the hype at the moment in the media, about certain cars, I mean, things like the M135 would be kind of old kind of news at this stage. I think, you know, over here, there'll be a lot, an awful lot of discussion about, you know, the whole LaFerrari, you know, Porsche 918 Spider and McLaren P1, which will be kind of the debate of, I think, 2014, you know, which one's going to win there in terms of the whole new generation of hybrid supercars or hybrid hypercars, which I think is is very interesting. I don't know if there's no, much focus totally. on that in, a, in America, is there? 
not I mean not super. I I can go either way on that one. I'm I'm sort of uh I'm shying away from answering that because I you could go so so vast the other way and be like, "Oh, yeah, absolutely." And then and then and then not. So I'm that's a cowardly way of saying I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I could get nailed one way or the other, but yeah. Let me ask you this. What's uh in terms of perspective from the UK, um Something I've always wanted to know because I haven't been there is the Festival of Speed versus, uh, you know, something like Pebble Beach. I'm not, have you ever gone to Pebble Beach, by the way? I haven't been to Pebble Beach, no, but I hope to go next year, perhaps. Okay, because I, I guess I can speak to the Pebble Beach aspect of it. But tell me about Festival of Speed. I don't have a ton of perspective, but I want to, I want to, I want to bounce it against Pebble Beach and see how they're the similar or, or different. Well, the Festival of Speed has been, I suppose, this year was the 20th anniversary of the Festival of Speed in the UK. Um, my second time going, I mean, it's, it's such um, a great event. It has kind of replaced the, the British Motor Show in, mm-hmm. and it's effectively, how would you describe it? It is a large kind of garden party where, you know, this guy, the arch, um, opens his house and so on and you know the main thing with the festival of speed is there's a a long run up by the front of the house called the hill you probably heard a lot of talk about the hill so during the event various classes of cars are raced up the hill so you'd have you know motorbikes you'd have sports cars you'd have new cars old cars and so on and there are kind of grandstands along the hill so people can watch that but really for me that was only like five percent of the festival of speed the rest of it is, you know, all the new cars. It's an outdoor motor show where you'd have each manufacturer would build like a semi-permanent kind of showroom on site, like and they'd display all of their models there. But the key thing about the show is, I mean, there really are no barriers. I mean, you want to hop into a Rolls Royce Phantom or a, you know, um, Bentley Mulsanne or whatever, you just hop in. There, whereas typically at motor shows, those kind of cars are cordoned off and nobody get touched them. So I think the good of festivals people pride itself on you know access all areas and you're just as likely to find you know formula one drivers wandering around the crowd and journalists and so on as you are um normal kind of people so it's, it's a real kind of access all areas um motor show but the sheer scale of it is the impressive thing you know it's you need to spend it because over usually three or four days four days including the moving motor show on a thursday so it's thursday friday saturday sunday um certainly you could easily spend three days there I mean, so much to see. I mean, you have rallying there. You have the Formula One cars will arrive in one of the days and drive up the hill. You've all of the um, motocross. You'll have, um, you know, as I said, you know, the moving motor show, which is an interesting concept where, you know, it gives you up the, you know, attendees to the show the opportunity to drive or get a passenger ride in the latest cars, you know, around the kind of driveway around Goodwood House or up the hill, um, as they say. So it's certainly a unique, unique event. I think the atmosphere is great, you know, it's on in July, so the weather is usually great, nice and dry down the south of England. And it's just, it's a great, great show to go. It's certainly, you know, a nicer experience than an indoor motor show, like Frankfurt or something. Although Frankfurt is amazing in its own right, this is just something a little bit different. Yeah, totally. I mean, Pebble Beach is sort of similar to that, but I mean, I guess from, to give you a little perspective, it is it is not the, the festival of speed, it, only because... Uh, you know, the thing that you were saying about people hopping into cars. I mean, if you want to get shot somewhere at Pebble Beach, <laughs> you could definitely try that. But um, that's definitely not what you want to do is hop in one of the Pebble Beach cars. So it, there's more of an attitude of um, privilege. And I mean, it's very beautiful and that sort of thing. But I, I, I kind of dig what you're saying, you know, in terms of, hey, hop in the car, you know, bring your kid up sort of thing. Watch racing. Everybody can walk around and 
um, that aspect, that uh, more um, open to everything, I think I, I would enjoy that, and I really want to go there. Um, but yeah. conversely, the Pebble Beach is is much more um, defined, more stringent, more uh, someone wants to win this really fancy award for whatever they're going to win it for. So it's I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just a different something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's it's, usually a theme as well as the Golden Festival of Speed. So this year was you know. Porsche, as you can imagine, which is you know a, a big deal. So they they build a kind of a, a monument in front of the house, um, by some artist actually. Designed it. So this time around, it was a Porsche um, monument. So you had like the earliest 911 Carrera up to like there was three cars in the monument. So 911 Carrera, um, I forgot what the middle one was, but the, the last one would have been the 911 Carrera 4S, the latest model, the 991. So you know Porsche was a big thing there. The new GT3, which is pretty amazing, um, made an appearance at the show, drove up the hill. And, you know, generate a lot of excitement. So Porsche was the theme this year. Last year would have been Lotus. Wow. That's that's cool. I'm dying to go there. I think we might be doing, um, you know, what I talked about earlier in, in this podcast was doing some things with the Mobile Tech Expo. I might come over there and, and do some uh, seminars or something uh, as a guest speaker over there. So if I do, I got I to gotta do another podcast or do another video and say, hey, guys, I'm coming over. We should put something together. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that'd be a good idea. That's totally cool. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you uh, giving us a little perspective as to what's going on with uh, Ireland, the UK. And, no problem. And, no, I, I appreciate you taking the time. I just I love hearing uh, you know, from, from people or viewers or listeners and sort of help me make uh, you know, the best podcast I possibly can and, and cultivate uh, this, uh, I guess I'll use the word again, culture of us crazy people detailing the cars <laughs> and, lo- and loving them and doing all the things that we do. Um, so I, I think it's fun and uh, I think we have a very niche, narrow uh, people that we speak to, but the people that do listen. Um, they're big into it. <laughs> they're, they're really into it. Yeah, so it's exciting. I appreciate so, you taking the time. No problem. And, um, Thanks, Ari. Uh, um, keep up the good work. Th- absolutely. Uh, we'll uh, we'll try to have you on, uh, hopefully, when you come back over here for Pebble Beach next year. We'll, uh, get, you, <laughs> uh, we'll get your perspective of Pebble Beach versus uh, the Festival of Speed. Anyhow, yeah, that'd be interesting. I pre- yeah, I appreciate your time, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. All right, bye. That was so much fun on getting a completely different perspective uh, on, on a couple of different things, of course, talking about the U.S. versus U.K. and um, just, just how we think about things. And it's really great to kind of expand your mind. And he was super cool. He contacted me and said, I have some ideas about this, and I think you should maybe do this. This might be neat. And it was, just, it was cool to talk to another guy um, so far away who uh, was just as crazy and passionate um, about cars as, as the rest of us. So, again, thank you. Super, super thank you to that. So let's make the – the transition, uh, rounding third here, um, talking about Facebook questions. And I have one from Keith Nevin that uh, actually took place yesterday, which was uh, Halloween 2013. Uh, so Keith Nevin asked, I need to ask you what hose nozzle you use because you get such good pressure. Now, I don't know about the good pressure thing. I just I, There's not a whole lot I can do about that. Um, as a matter of fact, I tried. But you can open up the street. And I'm talking specifically about the one at my house, uh, the one at my old shop. Uh, you know, we had the town come in and just wide open and that thing was crazy, crazy fire hose. But, um, at, you can usually manipulate, um, the sewer valve, uh, but not yourself. Obviously don't try that yourself. Uh, we got to call the water department and they can open up the valve, make sure it's totally open. Um, so that meaning the one that comes from the street, 
and then goes into your house. There's a valve there that they shut off, and then there's one, a main one at your house. You know, God forbid a pipe blows, you just run downstairs, and you turn off that one pipe that turns off the water to everything in the house. And then, of course, there's individual ones, and obviously they do that for safety reasons, and you can isolate what's leaking, but we're not, we're not talking about a plumbing show at the moment. Um, so uh, what nozzle do I use? The nozzle that I typically use, a lot of times, uh, you know, things break and you got to use what you got to use. But I like to use the one, um, heaven forbid I'm going to say this, but uh, Home Depot has one, uh, or you can buy it on Amazon, where the nozzle has this uh, plastic, black rubber plastic thing over the nozzle, which I really love. And the, the, the nozzle itself is super heavy. Uh, it's like 10 or 15 bucks here in the U.S., which is relatively expensive, meaning I can get one for $5, and it's that plasticky kind of goofy crap. Uh, you don't really want that. I have one because my wife uses it to, you know, water the plants or whatever. But um, you, you want to have the one that ha- is, has some weight to it and is wrapped in rubber. And it's hard for me to do it here because I'd love to show you a picture. But um, just I, I buy them, like, you know, more than I change my underwear. This <laughs> is the running joke. Uh, just buy a ton of them, leave them on the, uh, in your truck or at your shop or at your home. And then when these things bust or you break, you run them over or, you know, whatever, you lose it, they're there again. So there's no secret. But I will tell you this. This is a good point. I, I just realized I wanted to tell you something. I, I'm sorry, but I despise, I go crazy when... When somebody uses, a, you know, whatever, the fire hose one where you have to spin it and you spin it open and it's wide open and then you spin it closed and it goes, what I call the sniper, goes into a little, you know, the one. St- don't use those. Um, they seem to be really expensive. And the kind of thing that drives me bonkers is you have to use two hands with it. And you're like, well, no, you don't. You just, you turn it on and then you open it up and then you hold it with one hand. Yeah, well, in real life, I, my hands are doing multiple things while I'm sitting there. I, I can't take one hand away um, and and open the valve and then close the valve. I want to be able to do all that on the fly. So with the trigger nozzle, I can, uh, you know, the ones that, uh, it's, again, it's hard to explain uh, on, on a podcast, but the ones that uh, just have the big trigger in the back where if you just barely open the valve a little bit, it's wide angle. And if you open it full blast, it goes to sniper mode. You can manipulate sniper mode to wide and anything in between, and you can do that on the fly. So when I'm rinsing a car down, like if I'm doing something low on the on the car, on the bottom, or the wheel, or the wheel well, bang, sniper mode, sniper mode, sniper mode. Then I'll quickly just go to wide open fan as I get to the as I get to the car. Remember I always talk about car skin. It's like paint, paints like skin, blah blah blah. It's like uh, imagine me washing your body, washing you, washing your face. Do you want a sniper nozzle or do you want the wide nozzle? You want the wide nozzle, but what if I was doing, this is a bad analogy, but the bottom of your feet that were really dirty or whatever, then you want sniper mode. You get the point. It's, you want to be able to manipulate it on the fly and not have to turn it. So that, for some reason, that just bugs the heck out of me, those other ones. They're really expensive, and to me, they're just a huge pain in the butt. And the, and the on-off nozzle, it's either totally on, totally off. You have to manipulate that again, and then you have to it's a, It's way more complicated, but anyways, it's more complicated and more expensive. So ho- hopefully, Kevin, that gives you... Um, <laughs> probably more than you wanted to know about the trigger. I think you hit a trigger point um, in me, probably because it's midnight and I'm losing my mind. All right, next question. I am not even going to begin to understand how to say this name, but you know what? For kicks and giggles, uh, Bon Stu Raga Ad Y Rust Ad Rust. 
I don't even have a clue what that what what the name is, so I apologize. I'm butchering it, but it says, uh, "What? How many? What did you write? Would you recommend me to clean pad before each panel?" All right, so you know, not a native English speaker, which is cool. He's from Iceland, which is even cooler. So basically, he's asking me, "How often do you need to clean?" I think he's meaning specifically the well, we're going to go with the microfiber cutting pad, and the answer is, well, it all depends on the car and how you prep and how much product you use. So it's, I wish I could just give a one time per panel. I mean, I guess I can kind of give you a little bit of a heads up. So I would say, let's use an, a, a standard sized door. I would say, and again, we have to define what cleaning means. So when I'm doing a door, I'm probably pulling it off. Remember, you're doing a two by two section. In that two by two section, once I'm done with that and you know, you've gone through the whole process, again, I'm doing a macro view. I'm not talking about how to do that, which I'm going to shoot some more videos because a lot of people are asking me questions on this. But you take uh, out of my pocket or usually I have it in my, um, my breast pocket so I can just grab it out real quick. I use a little brush and I brush out all the, you know, the fibers to make sure that they stick up again. Sometimes I'll lightly hit it with a squirt of spray wax if I just need to kind of brush up on a little bit of area or I'll apply more product to it. So I do that two or three times per panel at least, but depending on how much contaminants actually come off the car, I could be like either going through multiple pads. Now, you know, at my stage in my career, I just have lots of pads. So I, I'll just boom, switch a pad and go, I'm not going to get up every five minutes because my knees and my back are killing me to go wash it off. I'll just go through, you know, 10 pads and then wash them all at once. So that, that's something you want to think about as well. So I'm being, it's giving you a little bit of a lame answer only because there's so many other factors that I can't just give you, you can do it one time or two times or I I can't do that. So, um, one of the big things you want to keep in mind when you're using a microfiber cutting pad is if you didn't prep the paint beforehand, what do I mean by prep the paint? Meaning wash it properly. Obviously you don't want any dirt on there because all the contaminants, the dirt are going to go into the microfiber pad. But the big thing is claying the paint. If you don't clay the paint, the microfiber pad is going to be, it's going to have a pretty good job of picking up all the gunk or crap or contaminants that are in there. But uh, I shot a video on this on how to remove glue with a microfiber cutting pad. You don't have to do it, but what I do is I keep my old pads so that, you know, they're not really great for leveling the paint anymore. I just use them to pick up the glue and then I throw the pad away. So it's important that you understand the power of each tool and the microfiber cutting pad does and will pick up contaminants, but I don't want it to do that because I have the clay to do that. Uh, That's what the clay is for. I want the microfiber cutting pad to have all of its strength to level the paint or, um, you know, maybe not necessarily level, but you can level it and then you can sort of heavy polish it or whatever. So I want it to do what it's designed to do and what I need that tool to do. I don't, my whole philosophy with products and, and tools is I want the best of the best to do one particular thing. I don't want something that does 500 million things. Um, and I, I just, it's just like do one thing and be the best at it and do the best at, and I want my tools to kind of mimic that. Having said that, I, I try to show you that these tools can do other things. And I'm also a business owner and you know cognizant of money. So instead of throwing away the microfiber cutting pad that did its exact job and leveled the paint and blah, blah, blah. And in theory, you would just throw it away. I keep them because I'm a psycho and put them on a polisher and then, take off uh, uh, glue with it, let's say, so I don't have to use a solvent and smell all the garbage that you can smell. And blah, blah. I just bang, maybe 10, 15 seconds, throw it away. It did its job. All right, it was one last use for it. So 
Um, again, that's a roundabout way of saying if the car isn't prepped the right way, or let's say it's single stage paint, or let's say it's really faded, nasty, uh, clear coated paint, and a lot of uh, contaminants slash uh, things are coming off the paint, either you know old contaminated yucky whatever boogers are coming off it it's going to fill up the pad much quicker and you're going to need to wash it so the bottom line is it the car the circumstance and uh you know your skills are going to dictate how often you wash it and i guess you can say if i'm going to give you a broad answer again wash it as many times as you possibly can um and go from there i'm not i'm not sure how much more i can possibly say about that buy lots of pads and uh, sort of the trick that I use, like I said, is just just use a new pad when it's not cutting anymore. And experience is going to give you that. And you, you've got to do test panels um, outside of car, you know, off of cars or, or scrap metal. So you can start to feel what the strengths and weaknesses and what your what your every tool can do, but specifically this microfiber pad. Long and short of it is wash it as much as it possibly needs. And it's probably going to need, uh, for me, when I do a normal car, I usually go through... Uh, let's say Porsche size car, uh, probably, probably four or so. And that's, you know, those are the big, you know, five or six inch ones. And then maybe three or four little, little three inch ones. But again, I'm also, uh, more cognizant of my time than I am wasting, uh, the microfiber pads because I have that hierarchy of pads, meaning once I'm done with them, they go into a different bucket and then they get used for, if I have to polish wheels or something, and then when I'm done with the wheels thing, they go into another bucket where, you know, if I need to take off some gunk that I don't want to use a clay bar for or, or stick or sticker glue and all that kind of thing that goes in that one. And once it's done with that, it goes in the garbage. So hopefully that answers the question. Hopefully it uh, gets your mind out there. It's time for me to literally pack my bag and my clothes and all my stuff to get uh, out to SEMA. And I'm so excited to uh, chat with everybody, meet with everybody and just kind of get into that, car care, detailer culture, and, and just uh, kind of rub elbows with all my buddies. So uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. We're going to do some plugs now after an hour and 17 minutes. If you hung in there, you are a rock star. So, of course, I want to thank the Smoking Tire, Matt Farah, Zach Clapman, all the boys um, at, the, at the Smoking Tire. Uh, I'm going to be on the Hooniverse podcast, so definitely take a look or take a listen in the next couple of days and forever because those guys are awesome. Shout Engine because they're the best in the entire uh, universe when it comes to podcasts. That's Chris Hayes, Hayes Data um, is his Twitter handle. And, of course, I'm super grateful for everybody. If you check out my website, AmoNYC.com, we have some secrets coming out soon, some new stuff. So uh, we are always uh, coming out with some interesting things. But the, this is going to be pretty cool. So uh, not for a little while, but it's it, you'll know when it comes out. Um, of course, the Drive Channel or the, the Drive Channel team, Sign up if you uh, aren't a member there or a subscriber. Definitely do that. There's some amazing hosts. Mike Musto, one of my closest friends, uh, does an amazing show. Matt Farah as well. JF, Leo, Mike Spinelli, and, of course, uh, Chris Harris. Uh, Facebook page, AmmoNYC.com. Jalopnik are my boys. I love them. They have the greatest articles. Um, Spinelli is is, uh, amazing, and Travis over there. Great, great, great people. And, of course, Aston Martin or TRG, Aston Martin Racing, one of my big um, uh, alliance members, meaning I, uh, I like to take care of their cars because it's Aston Martin, the 007. Lime Rock Race Park, uh, that's my home away from home. And uh, I got a lot of good buddies there. And finally, uh, with with the uh, today's episode of 
Robert from Ireland in in the UK is the Piston Heads in the UK. Those guys are awesome, and um, they post lots of stuff, and they have really great questions, and they're all good people. So, again, thank you so much for listening. We're going to do another one just as soon as humanly possible. Make sure you check out the Hooniverse podcast from SEMA. I will talk to you guys soon. Hit me up on Facebook, Larry at AmmoNYC.com. Email. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. 